if we can crack this delivery hurdle that many companies have faced and will continue to face with these unique and bold approaches, again, around enhanced construct, routes of administration, different delivery technologies, I believe we can really make huge advancements in, in certainly FTD and ALS, but even more broadly in all neurological conditions. Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, ALS. These are some of the most common and most devastating neurodegenerative diseases affecting millions worldwide. Because of their prevalence and the dozens of mutations that exist for each disease, they have been a focus of the pharmaceutical industry for decades. Like other therapeutic areas, researchers face hurdles like a long discovery process, multiple preclinical and clinical studies, and a rigorous regulatory review. But for drug developers focused on neurodegenerative disease, the challenge really begins with the red tape of the human body, the blood-brain barrier. This complex network of blood vessels and tissues protects the brain from harmful substances and often blocks neurodegenerative therapies from achieving optimal results. I'm Gina Mullane, and in this episode of Vital Science, we talk with Lisa Deschamps, CEO of Aviato Bio, about how her organization is exploring new routes of drug delivery to break through the blood-brain barrier. We'll discuss the development of their novel gene therapy for frontotemporal dementia, the research that's underway for ALS treatment, and how the organization is giving hope to rare disease families worldwide. Welcome to Vital Science, Lisa. We are really honored to have you. Would you share a little bit more about yourself and your role? Thanks, Todd. It's really great to be here. Um, so currently, I am the CEO of Aviato Bio, which is a London-based, globally-focused gene therapy company. My background prior to joining Aviato Bio was on the big pharma side of the world. I spent over 25 years at Novartis, uh, started carrying the bag and worked my way up through the different uh, you know, years in various roles. And my last few roles at Novartis, which are probably most relevant to my uh, time here at Aviato Bio, was, I was leading our U.S. neuroscience business and our global neuroscience business based in Basel. My team had done the acquisition of Avexis into Novartis. I had led the integration and then um, about a year and a half later went over to lead the commercialization worldwide of the first asset, which is Zolgensma. Uh, so it's a gene therapy and SMA, spinal muscular atrophy for children. By the time I left, we had brought Zolgensma to over 41 markets all around the world, 29 reimbursements, most importantly, treated um, a little shy of 2,000 patients at that time. Launching Zolgensma was such a privilege, being able to see the impact that it could have on patients and families, sitting next to a child who may not have been there or let alone was running around playing hide-and-go-seek still gives me chills every day. It's what brought me here to Aviato Bio, and it is the North Star for us as a team to be able to bring transformative gene therapies to people living with neurological conditions. What an incredible launch to be a part of. It sounds like that experience really propelled you uh, to where you are today with Aviato Bio. So when you think about your time at Aviato Bio, is there a particular accomplishment that you're most proud of? That's a great question. You know, for me, it's all about the people. It begins and ends with the people. And so, you know, from the from the teams that you build, and we have really built, built 
an organization, a team of passionate people who work relentlessly each day towards our mission and being able to bring these therapies to patients who need them, as well as, of course, it ends with the people, right? Being able to have the impact on their on patients and families as we go forward. And so for me, what I'm most proud about is the team that we've built to date and the inspiration behind what you know started the company and how hard everybody works each and every day to make our mission a reality for patients. I love that. So uh, Aviato Bio focuses on developing transformative medicines for patients living with debilitating and life-threatening neurodegenerative disorders. Um, So what's driving this important work? Well, you know, at, at the most simplistic view of that question, it's the significant unmet need that exists. I mean, if you look at neuro CNS disease overall, and particularly neurogeneration, there's still such an unmet need. There's very little transformative therapies. And in many of the disease areas, certainly the ones that we're looking at, there's not even, you know, there's little to no treatments that even exist today. Um, more broadly, as you look at MS and Alzheimer's, of course, there are treatments, but they're symptomatic at best, you know, symptomatic relief. There's been nothing to date in neurodegeneration that has been able to truly prevent or certainly transform the lives of patients. And so for us, we see this as a as a heavy responsibility. We believe that, you know, our mission is strong, the need is strong. And for us, the hyper-focus is around the delivery and being able to crack the number one key challenge for for all companies in this space to cross the blood-brain barrier and to be able to find the right balance between delivering a therapeutic, a transformative therapeutic benefit for patients in a way that is safe and, and tolerable. And so our goal as a team is to really focus on the delivery, focus on areas of high unmet medical need, and focus and work hard each day to bring these types of transformative treatments to patients. The mission of Aviato Bio is to develop breakthrough therapies for life-threatening neurodegenerative disorders. Among those conditions is frontotemporal dementia, or FTD. The organization has developed a program for FTD patients who have a genetic mutation in their GRN gene. This gene is responsible for producing progranulin, which regulates cell growth, survival, repair and inflammation in the central nervous system and peripheral tissues. Patients with this form of dementia produce only about 20 to 30% of the progranulin a healthy individual produces. The resulting symptoms are devastating for patients as they encompass everything from executive function and language to personality and behavior. The average survival time from time of diagnosis is just five to seven years. To date, There are no treatment options, including symptomatic therapies, for the 13,000 individuals in the United States and Europe carrying this mutation. Let's hear more from Lisa on what life is like for these patients. You've mentioned that at Aviato Bio, your current research focuses on frontotemporal dementia, or FTD, and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or ALS. Uh, Can you tell our listeners a bit more about how these diseases typically present in patients? Sure. So for FTD, um, we're starting to meet a lot of families and it's a little bit different, but for the most part for FTD, it does typically present more commonly with behavioral type of disorder, you know, uh, symptoms, things that you might not even expect where you could have a patient who all of a sudden 
um, you know, always drank a glass of wine on the weekend and all of a sudden started to have, you know, um, symptoms almost to be a, you know, a, an alcoholic, right? Or ha have an addictive type of personality where they never did before, or it might have been a very, you know, benign, calm, kind personality, and they're very rude all of a sudden, just out of the blue. So FTD typically starts with the behavioral aspect, so personality. And you wouldn't necessarily think, I mean, the feedback from a lot of the, the families that we met is you wouldn't necessarily think this is, you know, rel related to something that's medically going on. And so, you know, at first, it's like, oh, are they having a midlife crisis? Or is there something stressful, stress related going on, you know, in, in the peripheral of the, of, you know, their lifestyle? etc. And it often takes people, you know, a good amount of time to actually get to the right doctors. And as the disease progresses, then over time, the cognitive impacts and impairments come to be. So you will then start to see memory loss and other forms of cog cognitive impairment, which then is followed up usually by mobility and a lack of function, executive function overall. It can stay in that early phase for quite a while and then rapidly progress to the point where, again, it's unrecognizable. Um, and so, you know, it's really important that we raise, we raise awareness, um, certainly for these forms of dementia that, you know, are the most, you know, second, um, it's second to Alzheimer's as far as being, um, as far as the incidence concerned in patients under the age of 65. So FTD is, is, is second most common form of dementia. Um, to Alzheimer's and patients who are under the age of 65, so relatively young patients. And unless you know there's a known family history, you're not, like as just mentioned, these initial symptoms are not necessarily obvious that there's something medically going on. Um, you know, in, in ALS is a bit different. Um, it is considered, as you as you rightfully said, uh, motor neuron disease or Lou Gehrig's disease. A lot of people know it. It's also a devastating neurodegenerative disease characterized by upper and lower motor neuron um, impact in the brain and the spinal cord. It leads to progressive par paralysis and, and also death. Um, but it, it, it is a bit more physical than, than behavioral in comparison to FTD. Um, unfortunately, patients survive only on an average of two to five years as well um, post their diagnosis. And that can, can also affect very young individuals, 30, 40-year-olds, um, and then, of course, uh, you know, onward. Um, and both have a familial component. So in FTD, you can have anywhere from a quarter to half um, can be familial, which is good because if you have a known family member through the generations who you've seen, you may recognize the symptoms a bit more upfront. If you don't, it's even harder because there's no general standard testing. It's not like when you turn 40 or 50 where mammograms or colonoscopies are kind of part of normal medicine. You don't typically get an MRI or get these cognitive tests or other forms, genetic testing, et cetera. So you really have to look for it um, and really follow the symptoms if there's not a known family component. And in ALS, it's a little bit smaller. So ALS, you know, familial ALS is, um, accounts for about 5 to 10% of, of all causes. The caregiving burden on families of patients with FTD and ALS is heavy. These diseases can affect a patient's whole being, from the physical to the cognitive, and are often accompanied by comorbidities. For example, up to 50% of patients with ALS, which primarily impacts mobility, are diagnosed with FTD, resulting in significant cognitive impairment. 
and FTD patients may also, over time, have mobility and motor neuron impacts, as seen with ALS. According to the Partnership to Fight Chronic Disease, for patients living with dementia, 70% of the lifetime cost of care is borne by families, and the single patient cost for ALS exceeds $2 million over 10 years. So for families who are caregivers for one patient, let alone for those who have carried the load of disease through the generations or the complications of co-occurring conditions, treatment cannot come soon enough. Let's hear more from Lisa about how gene therapy is opening new doors in the treatment of neurodegenerative disease. It's clear that it's been a challenge for the pharmaceutical industry to fulfill the therapeutic needs of these patients. What's unique about the gene therapies Aviato Bio is developing? Our mission is to develop and deliver transformative gene therapies to people living with um, neurological disease. And, you know, we're, we're kind of doing a bit of what we know and then adding a flair, right? So the what we know piece of it is we're using AAV9, um, which is, you know, obviously a vector that is commonly characterized and, and, and um, available in other approved gene therapies today, as we know. But what the flare is, is the delivery aspect. And as mentioned earlier, you know, we are really hyper-focused on delivery and really overcoming this key challenge and crossing the blood-brain barrier and the disease. It's the only way in the short term to overcome these challenges and again, be able to provide a maximal therapeutic benefit for patients in a safe and tolerable way. And so in our lead program, we are uh, in front temporal dementia with the, with the mutation in the GRN gene. We are using an AAV9. Um, we've, we've optimized our construct to be, uh, to enhance, to be neuronal specific and enhance the delivery. We are using a unique route of administration. So we're going interparachymal which others are doing, but we are going directly into the thalamus. Um, we believe the thalamus, um, from what we know about the thalamus, is a central relay hub to the brain. And being able to, to go in there directly and, in, and um, in a sense, inject the medication there for patients um, will have a, you know, a, a really, um, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? A really... Um, significant um, biodistribution of the therapy for patients. And again, because it's so directly targeted, going direct into the brain, you can use very little amounts, um, which again, it goes back to the kind of maximal therapeutic benefit with the, with the very targeted approach and in a way that's not toxic and is safe and tolerable. Um, and so that's in our first program. In ALS, our programs are still in the discovery phase. And there we have a micro, a proprietary microRNA platform where we're also looking at a unique delivery approach. Um, so we're looking at a subpeel delivery where, you know, for diseases that have more spinal cord involvement, such as ALS, um, that should also be, again, a very targeted approach to be able to use very little drug and have the right balance between a maximal therapeutic benefit and a safe and favorable toler you know, tolerability profile for the patients. Um, we haven't yet disclosed the targets that we're going after, but obviously in ALS, there are a number of key targets that you know, have tremendous incidence as it relates to disease. At the annual meeting of the American Society of Gene and Cell Therapy earlier this year, Aviato Bio presented preclinical data on its gene therapy treatment for FTD patients with GRN mutations 
an investigational one-time adeno-associated virus, or AAV, called AVB-101. Because patients with FTD-GRN experience profound subcortical and cortical degeneration, the ability to treat these regions is essential to therapeutic success. In preclinical studies, a large animal model underwent intrathalamic delivery of AVB-101 and demonstrated widespread cortical and subcortical distribution of progranulin. Notably, no progranulin or AVB-101 vector was detected in the serum and liver, respectively, which may minimize off-target tissue effects. On the heels of this success, the organization will submit to regulatory bodies in Europe and subsequently the United States with a goal of getting to the clinic this year. Let's hear from Lisa about what goes on in this submission process. In terms of what's next for AVB 101, I know the FDA and European commissions recently granted you orphan drug designation. Could you explain to our listeners what orphan drug designation is and, and what it means for AVB 101? Sure, happy to. And and yes, as you as as you rightfully mentioned, we did announce that earlier in the new year. So both that both the FDA and and the European uh, Commission has granted us the orphan designation. So orphan designation, as it relates to the FDA, um, is when a you're going after a disease um, that affects less than it could be two hundred thousand or less individuals in the United States. And again, um, this is a little bit different in Europe because in Europe you have various countries with, with different population sizes. So in Europe, this is typically um, five in 10,000 people. So less than five in 10,000 people in each of those respective countries. So um, what basically orphan designation does is it gives you kind of this opportunity to put in a new drug application, um, granting this orphan designation, reflecting really the significant unmet need that exists in these disease areas. And, if, and you know, in a sense, it's meant to be an incentive for, for sponsors to, to invest and in research in areas that are not as common. Um, obviously, there's always a significant cost in research and development. For me, the most important thing of it is that it really recognizes the unmet need that exists. It's sort of a validation when you get that, that you know, there are no treatment options today for these patients, and there's a lot of support by the regulatory authorities to work with you, to work with the sponsors individually to bring these drugs to the market. And are you seeing a benefit for patients that are suffering from other uh, diseases like uh, ALS Huntington's disease that are, are benefiting from your investigational approach? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, we, as mentioned to you, you know, we are, I think we're all trying to solve for, for the, the key challenges in treating, you know, um, these disease, these rare diseases in CNS today. And everyone's doing it a little bit differently, right? So there are, there are others that are also going, you know, direct into the brain. Um, and then there are others that are working on capsids, right, you know, and doing capsid development to really enhance that delivery aspect. Um, I do think that the more the more therapies that are, you know, focused on the delivery will give us our best shots on goal, right, to, to bringing these types of um, transformative uh, therapies for patients. And so I do think that any advancement in the field today is a positive. Um, and, you know, all of us working relentlessly, collectively, will really make a difference. It creates precedent. It creates more understanding um, by the regulators, right? The more programs that are that are focused on solving this challenge. And so I do think it's a, it's a positive. 
It is absolutely a positive to have more scientists focused on this area of research. You know, on this podcast, we have the privilege of discussing groundbreaking gene therapies and how they have the potential to transform lives. But uh, an important part of this conversation is also the hurdles patients face in accessing investigational treatments. In your opinion, Lisa, how can we make these therapies more accessible to the patients who need them? Yeah, it's a great question. And it is kind of, you know, the number one, you know, one of the number one key objectives you need to keep in mind when you're developing therapies like this, right? It's, of course, every step of the development process is critical, right? From, you know, the non-clinicals all the way through to going into human, but you always have to have your eye at the end of the day of, can we get them to patients who need them? Because if not, why are we doing this? And so, you know, there's so many components of it, right? I mean, you know, you, you need to work with the community, both the clinicians as well as the, the advocacy groups and the caregivers and the patients themselves if, where it's possible along the clinical development process, right? You want to input into your studies, you know, um, endpoints that are meaningful to patients that can truly, you know, help with them manage and potentially transform the way they can live with the disease. So you want to know that up front. And then as you continue on, you want to work with the regulators and the reimbursement bodies. And again, the community at the whole time, uh, it continues. It's not a one and done to ensure that you're creating that awareness and that education. You're conveying and people understand actually the burden that exists from this disease today, because it will always come down to, as it relates to access to patients, it'll always come down to the value proposition that these therapies provide, right? And there's a, lots of ways you can provide access to patients, you know, as we all know, whether it's through compassionate use, but ultimately you want to get these products you know, approved by the regulators and approved by the reimbursement bodies and going through the normal channels we have today um, in the quickest way possible. And so, I mean, I think there's some really good precedent out there in, in programs, um, you know, from other recently launched gene therapies where, you know, access was not the barrier. And so I do think it's possible, but it does take a conscious eye on that right from the beginning of the starting of the development programs all the way through working with the communities, working with the regulators and the reimbursement bodies to ensure that you always have the right understanding of what value these medicines can bring to patients. So it will be our, it will be our North Star as well, because at the end of the day, that's, that's what our mission is all about, is bringing these therapies to patients. And this end goal of bringing therapies to patients, of course, must be top of mind, even as early as the discovery process. Because at the end of the day, researchers must ask themselves, does what we're creating in the lab transfer to the clinic? Particularly in the development of gene therapies, this answer cannot be found in a vacuum. Drugs are brought to market through a continuum that begins with discovery, continues to preclinical and clinical trials, and succeeds in its final step of commercialization. In each of these steps, drug developers must anticipate what is needed to pass the checkpoint in front of them from proof of concept to regulatory enabling studies. For Aviato Bio in particular, this has meant thinking ahead to the go-to-market model and its impact on clinicians, patients, and caregivers. The organization's lead program for FTD has a unique delivery approach, which requires a non-invasive surgical procedure for administration. From the start, their team has had to envision how this therapy will ultimately be put in the hands of patients who need it most, from the training of neurosurgeons to enabling patient access worldwide. 
By working together and learning from the scientific community, Aviado Bio has found ways to overcome these challenges, setting a precedent for future drug developers in the process. Let's hear more from Lisa on how Aviado Bio's partnership with Charles River helped them in their development journey. You've talked about the role of collaboration in bringing about scientific breakthroughs. I know your team at Aviado Bio partnered with Charles River to ensure the safety and efficacy of AVB 101. What would you say makes a partnership like this successful? Well, I think, you know, as always with, with all partnerships, right, it requires, uh, you know, a, a strong group of indiv individuals willing to come and work together. Um, Charles River brings a significant amount of expertise to the table that, that we, you know, very much were appreciative and certainly in need of. Um, and it's really been overall a fruitful partnership uh, to date. Um, they engage with us so closely from the beginning to the end and throughout, of course. Um, and one of the aspects that made the difference was the agility and willingness to adapt to our study design and the requirements for really solid output non-clinical data package. They've helped us with method development and qualification for some of our protein assays and safety biomarkers. The non-clinical assays were developed um, in collaboration, obviously, with Charles River, provided a real understanding for us on how much of our product can actually reach the brain, you know, back to kind of our core emphasis and areas of focus um, uh, following our um, intrathalmic delivery um, in, our, in the non-clinical uh, animal models, of course. And in addition, um, we were able to build a very robust package related to our safety profile for our product. So, you know, very much focused on the non-clinical work leading into the, into the in-human studies and being able to really help us bridge from some of these assays into clinical samples and, you know, overall um, support our, our regulatory enabling studies to be able to get to the next step in our journey. So it's been a very strong partnership, great expertise by the teams and um, and just really collaborative, back to the sentiment of collaboration. It's so great to hear that we were able to help progress AVB 101 to where it is today. How do you think this work will help pave the way for future innovation in the treatment of neurodegenerative disorders, whether it's at your company or with fellow travelers in the FDD and ALS space? Yeah, so, so I think from my lens, the answer to this question is really around, you know, the emphasis that we're putting on delivery if we can crack this delivery hurdle that many companies have faced and will continue to face with these unique and bold approaches, again, around enhanced construct, routes of administration, different delivery technologies, I believe we can really make huge advancements in, in certainly FTD and ALS, but even more broadly in all neurological conditions. And so, you know, it, it takes some courage it's not a common path. We're not popping a pill in the mouth or, you know, giving a, a, you know, a short IV. It is a much bolder approach, but one that has a lot of good precedent and some really good experience and data in, in other areas like deep brain stimulation, et cetera. Um, but if we can bring that to some of these disease areas and again, comes back to providing that, you know, therapeutic benefit for patients in a way that's truly meaningful with a very clean safety profile, I think the opportunities are really endless. I think we can go much more broad in, in much larger disease areas uh, and really have a significant impact 
of course, on the patients within those diseases, but even on, you know, society at large, right? When you think about the impact of neurological conditions to society in very young, you know, patient segments and demographics of, of the economy, it can be quite significant. So I think there's so much opportunity. I'm really excited. I think we're off to a good start. And I think, you know, we'll be joined by many others around us. Yeah, I agree. And, and maybe looking towards Aviato Bio and in the, the year ahead or the, the, the long-term future even, what, what do you really hope Aviato Bio's legacy is going to be? Yeah, so for me, I want to be the company that has really cracked this delivery challenge and has successfully brought um, transformative gene therapies to the people living with CNS conditions. And whether that means, you know, a those, those rare diseases that we're focused on today, or even through collaborations and partnerships, much broader disease areas, that this, you know, the work that we have done has really benefited so many. And for us, I think that is our legacy. And I can tell you, you have a group of extremely passionate, inspired individuals on our team who were working relentlessly every day to make that, you know, that mission a reality for patients. It's not easy, but it's so important. It's worth it. If you could think about one thing that you could leave with our, our listeners to kind of share with their close communities, you know, to spread awareness, uh, what, would you, what would you want them to know? That's a good question. Hmm. Let me think here. Um, what would I want them to know? I would want them to have hope and, and be bold. And, you know, we shouldn't, be, we shouldn't be accepting that the best we can do for patients is either nothing at all or just symptomatic relief. We need to believe that we can do better. And that takes a whole group of community, caregivers, patients, stakeholders, different stakeholders like our patient advocacy groups, regulators, clinicians, all coming together to really invest the time and effort. And, you know, a lot of these are not chartered territories, right? So we have to be bold and courageous if we truly want to make and impact and, and, and transform care for, for people living with these types of diseases. Well said. Well, Lisa, thank you so much for, for joining us on Vital Science. I, I learned so much and your, uh, your story is uh, inspirational and I think it's also informative for so many people that you know um, struggle with these different diseases and or connected to them through a family member. Um, so just thank you for sharing your, your vision for Aviato Bio and, and uh, your insights. Thank you, Todd. Thank you for your interest in, the, in listening. Lisa Deschamps is CEO of Aviato Bio. Looking ahead to our next episode of Vital Science, in February, we'll talk with Dr. Wise Young of the WM Keck Center for Collaborative Neuroscience about his team's work developing novel treatments for individuals living with spinal cord injury. Until then, thanks for listening.